Gracious Father, we ask you now to open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word, that we may understand what you have done and what now in your strength we must seek to do. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We've got two things in common with the people that Isaiah was addressing in that reading that Marianne brought to us just now. Number one, they suffered from roads with potholes. They knew, number two, they knew what it was to have a guilty conscience. Well, you may agree with the first, if not with the second. Our roads are apparently getting worse. But in God's sight, we are all lawbreakers. A lawbreaker is, by definition, in the wrong. And unless a lawbreaker is pardoned, they're liable to pay a penalty. Now, my wife has her birthday in June, and last year we celebrated by going down to the sea for lunch, uh, followed by, uh, to her at least, a surprise visit for, to an old friend for tea. And it's lovely, uh, leisurely driving through those um, villages in Sussex. And... Um, I was careful, of course, that we were in no hurry to observe the 40-mile speed limit that most of the villages have. And I was indignant and incredulous when a week or so later I was accused of driving too fast in one of the villages. I was sure I was not guilty. There was no reason to hurry that day. But then I saw the photograph that came with the summons. It was my car, my number plate, and there was a speed sign which I obviously hadn't seen, I was wrong. I was guilty. I was surprised. Imagine a video record of everything that you have ever done. Nothing is left out. Would you like us to show it now? Would you be happy? Now imagine that video has subtitles. The subtitles reveal your thoughts, the reasons you did what you did when you did it, what you were thinking when you smiled so sweetly at somebody you couldn't stand. (laughs) Seriously, that is what God sees when he sees us sitting here in our Sunday best here in church. Or in some cases watching more comfortably at home today. We welcome you if you're online. Well, the Bible tells us that the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's a very sobering thought this morning, isn't it? And the first few pages right there at the beginning of the Bible, it shows how easy it is for us to break God's law and think we're quite all right in doing it. Adam and Eve chose to believe that God was not serious when he warned them of the seriousness of the consequences of eating forbidden fruit. And when you or I choose to do something that God has forbidden, we sometimes try and fool ourselves that God is not serious in this case. But the Bible tells us he takes sin very seriously indeed. The problem with Adam and Eve was that they chose to believe that they could decide what was morally right and what was morally wrong. 
And when we choose to do something that God has said is wrong, make no mistake, we are wrong. And in thinking that they, not God, could decide what is true and what is morally right, Adam and Eve were putting themselves in the place of God. That's basically what they were doing. I know best. We know best. They were forgetting that they, like us, are creatures created by a loving creator to be dependent on him and subordinate to him in every way. Their thinking was wrong. It was very wrong. And whether we look at war today or wokeness, we'll we'll see people who are sure that they alone can say what is true and what is not true. They alone can decide what is right and what is not right, what is wrong. And perhaps as I say this, you are feeling a little uncomfortable because you are painfully aware of times, as I am, that when I, not God's word, decided what was right to do or not do. And I mention this only because it may just be, and it is possible in a congregation such as this, that, that some are still troubled by some memory of the past when they have broken God's law, when they've done something wrong and they deeply regret, you deeply regret it, and it could keep you awake at night. Now, if that should be the case, listen to the word of God in our Old Testament Bible reading. It's full of love. Its word is comfort. Comfort. Comfort, O my people, says your God. Speak tenderly. Yes, you've done wrong. A penalty needs to be paid, but it's been paid. You've received from the Lord's hand double for all your sins. That was addressed, of course, to Jerusalem at the time to the people of Jerusalem. The point being is that the penalty is paid. It's full and full and more. Double, says the Old Testament, double. God has more than abundantly paid the price, the penalty for our sins. And that's why we are here in Advent in our New Testament reading. We read a promise that the advent of the Saviour, the coming of the Saviour, who comes to pay the penalty for our sins and mine, he's going to do this on the cross so that we who are wrong can be put in the right because our sins are forgiven, the penalty is paid. Do you get that? It's a great, great truth, a wonderful blessing to think that that's what we can celebrate today. So that's the one thing we have in common. Uh, Each of us uh, must be aware of, uh, must have a guilty conscience. We know we have done what is wrong. That's why we have confession at the beginning of every service. So let's move on to the potholes. What about these potholes? Aren't they a nuisance? They slow us down, they damage our vehicles. Do you know what? They appear to me to be a nuisance to Surrey County Council. If you go on their website, you'll see in bold type, and I quote verbatim, we're not to keep on reporting them because, and this is the quote, they will not take into consideration the number of times a a pothole is reported. So we can see that they are not very pleased about them any more than we are. The only difference is that they might be able to do something about it. Having driven in Kenya, compared to the potholes we have over here, Ah, potholes, a small beer. <laughs> One day when we were, we were there driving, they were so bad, I feared that we would not reach our destination before nightfall. That could be very serious. And then we came to a turning, a crossroads, 
and we, were, we turned right, and everything changed. We were on a road that was straight, smooth, beautifully surfaced tarmac. We began to catch up on the time that we had lost. Why is this road so good? I asked my son who was working there at the time. Oh, he said, it's the road that leads to the president's hometown. <laughs> he goes there every Friday from Nairobi. The road in Isaiah is described not as the way of the president, but as the way of the Lord. The road on which he will come to his people and bring them safely back to God. And that needs to be a good road, doesn't it? Now, in Mark's Gospel, which is our second reading, it tells us who Jesus is. That's the whole point of Mark's writes his Gospels, to tell us who Jesus is, why he came, and how we can turn from the wrong roads to the road that leads us home to God. That's really what Mark is writing about. So when you think back, when I think back over our faith journey, the road, in other words, the road that leads us to come to know Jesus and to follow Jesus, I think it's likely that most of us will have something in common. We had this question once before in this church. And it was, who was the first person who got you thinking or got to take a first step towards coming to know the Lord? And almost certainly, in every case, it was not a clergy person. It was an ordinary, excuse me, Patrick, but it was an ordinary person, like you or me. A parent or a sibling, a friend at school, encouraging us to join something or to go to Sunday school or to join a youth group or to come to church. um, A teacher, a school friend, all sorts of ordinary colleagues, normal people, so to speak. Someone who helps us on our way. Is that true, if you think about it? The clergy, of course, had an, I have to say this, but the clergy had an important part as they came, as you came later. But, but for the, often the very first person was just a normal a friend you identified with. So in other words, they were part of the road, the way that Jesus took to come to us. And that we came to see Jesus as the saviour who pardoned us from our sins and on the cross he paid our penalty. So the logic of that then is that if you are consider yourself to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, you too are part of the road, the road, the way of the Lord, the way in which Jesus comes to the people you meet. And in a very practical way, a very simple way, perhaps unconsciously, you can help them to meet Jesus and become his follower. And sticking with that analogy, if you're part of the road on which Jesus travels, how do you feel about your potholes that make it difficult for people to see Jesus in you? The obstacles, the difficulties that might prevent them. You know, it's one of the saddest things I've found in talking to people over the years about becoming and trying to encourage them to put their faith in Jesus is when they say to me, I can't, I couldn't possibly be a Christian. And they then tell me the story of some Christian professing Christian who has behaved so badly. They're hypocrites. You're hy- and it's so hard because how can, you, how can you answer that? They've been put off by the behavior of a Christian. And the challenge, of course, to us this morning is that as we think of this passage in preparation and Advent is, might you, might I, by the way we live, actually discourage others from encountering, encountering Jesus Christ? We may need to repair that pothole. So our Christian life, 
begins with the assurance that all our sins are forgiven, we have been pardoned. But it continues with a call to prepare the way of the Lord by praying for others to find that pardon too. To be, uh, um, uh, to be a necessary part of the way for others. Not to make their journey difficult by the way we excuse ourselves in breaking God's law. We want to make it easy for them. We would like to be the sort of Christian that we come to see uh, that Paul describes in the book of Philippians. Always joyful. Never anxious. Diligent in praying. Nice to the people we find most irritating and content in any and all circumstances. You remember we saw some of that in Philippians. If only we were more like that. It would not be surprising that others we meet would also like to know Jesus too, would it? But I know you're going to think, if you're like me, you'll say that's easier said than done, isn't it? We need help to be the sort of Christian that would encourage other people to want to be a Christian too. And so we find help in something that John the Baptist said. I have baptized you with water, but he, the Lord Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So I hope that you will forgive me if I share my own experience for a moment. It may just, I do it just because it may help someone who, having known they are pardoned and they are forgiven that they were by Jesus, they're struggling to be a straight path on which Jesus can use to reach others. 68 years ago this month, in fact this week, I was baptised with water as a young adult in a tank of almost warm water. I emerged wet and dripping, determined to live a good Christian life from then on. I said my prayers, I read my Bible every day, I went to church on Sunday, but I found it all too difficult to be what I knew I ought to be. I began to to come to the conclusion that I just wasn't cut out to be a Christian and I really ought to give it up as a bad job. But one day I shared that frustration with a minister at the end of a service. He listened carefully and asked me a question that was literally life-changing for me. This was the question. What does the Holy Spirit mean to you? I didn't know what to say. If he'd asked me to recite the books of the Bible in the right order or to quote John 3.16, I could have done it word perfect. If he'd have asked me who were the sons of Benjamin, I could have said, Huppin, Uppin, and Ard. I knew my Bible, but I knew nothing about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, baptized with water. I have baptized you with water, he says. And water, that baptism with water, symbolizes our our pardon from God, the washing away of the guilt of our sin, the forgiveness of sins. But God wants to do much more for us than just pardon us from our sins. He wants to live within us by his Holy Spirit. And so John goes on to say, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The water was on the outside, but the Holy Spirit wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to repair the damage He wants to make us good. And that was the lesson I needed to learn. 
And every morning, instead of simply trying in my own strength to live the Christian life, I start the day now by asking the Holy Spirit to fill me and to live out his life in me. I want the fruits, the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, of his life to be seen in me, you know, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, goodness. And I want to be faithful and meek and, and, so, and in, with self-control. I do that because I want the potholes to be filled, the road to be straight so that others will experience the coming of Jesus, his advent into your own lives too. And what works, and I say works rather than as if it's all complete, it, because it's ongoing, it's a present, I need this every day. I need constantly, I need the forgiveness every day and the help to get on with the next day. What works for me will work for you. It's a promise to us all. So may I encourage you this Advent and today, especially in our, perhaps in a moment of prayer, to make way for the Holy Spirit of Jesus. He's God's Holy Spirit to work in your life, to fill you, to work, to produce his fruits. <coughs> and may I encourage you to start this today and every day as you wake up, asking him to fill you and to produce his fruits in you. So let's pause for a moment as we reflect on what God has said. If like me, you, as all those years ago, you have a question, I'd be very happy, if I can, to at least to listen to it and to try and answer it at the end, if you wanted to have a quiet word with me. But now let us think and pray in God's presence. And we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to pardon our sins by his death on the cross. We thank you that we, in receiving him, we receive forgiveness. We thank you, too, that you are concerned for our lives every moment of every day, and you want to work through us by your Holy Spirit so that others will come to see Jesus in us and want to follow him, too. We pray that you will help us to take this seriously and to know your presence in our hearts and lives this day and tomorrow and every day that follows. In Jesus' name, amen.